0: It's always worked out well for me when I've decided to, to focus on what I like to do. You think you might want to be a chair of pathology, but you've never done it before. But, you know, sounds like a great idea and you're excited about it, you should just do it. You may find out later that it's something you don't want to do, but I think you just have to go with your gut, you know? What, what really floats your boat? has always worked for me.
1: That's Dr. John Lau, today on Behind the Microscope. Hello everyone, and welcome to season two of Behind the Microscope. We are delighted to have you with us as we continue to explore the stories, motivations, and philosophies of the people working behind the scenes of science and medicine. Coming in the months ahead will be a look at the careers of scientists, physicians, and physician scientists both in and outside of academia. A deep dive into the history of MD-PhD training with Dr. Bert Shapiro, longtime NIH MSTP director. Several live Q&A events with current and former MD-PhD and PSTP program directors. And continued discussion of the challenges faced by trainees and rising scientists, physicians, and physician scientists, including a focus on racial and gender disparities. Today we start by a look outside academia with a conversation with Dr. John Lau. Dr. Lau got his MD from the University of Utah, went to residency at Washington University in St. Louis, was an HHMI investigator at the University of Michigan, chair of pathology at Case Western Reserve University, and ultimately the senior director of pathology at Genentech before his retirement in 2018. Without further ado, we are excited to bring you the debut of Season 2 with Dr. John Lau. So then let's talk a little bit about college or growing up in Cheyenne sure. and then kind of what your expectations for your life were going to be Sure. Um, yeah. and then, you know, what ultimately took you down your career.
0: <clears throat> yeah, so growing up in Cheyenne, Wyoming, 50,000 people. Um, pretty much the main options were either not to go to college or go to the University of Wyoming, which is in Laramie, about 50 miles west of Cheyenne. But um, I was a pretty good student in high school, and somebody, I, I can't remember who, suggested, well, why don't you think about going to somewhere like in Colorado, like maybe the Colorado School of Mines and uh that <coughs> that idea resonated with my parents cuz they thought i should be an engineer mm-hmm. cuz you can you'll, you'll have a salary when you're done you know mm-hmm. that was the main thing right and so i applied there and got in and went there and found out it was you know 350 guys and 10 women <laughs> <Okay. Yeah. laughs> and that wasn't going to work for me uh-huh. <laughs> So I went back. I transferred after one semester to the University of Wyoming and um, in Laramie, which is not too far away, mm-hmm. and and that worked out. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, I mean, um, and then you majored in
1: math right away. Is yeah, that was so. The plan was that that would help you with engineering, or
0: yeah. The idea was, um, I mean, at at Colorado School of Mines, I was in the petroleum engineering. Mm-hmm. area because <coughs> my dad happened to be it used to be in the oil and gas industry so that was that was the narrow focus right. you know like this is what we do yeah, yeah. And but I learned when I was at mines that there are lots of other kinds of engineering you can pursue and, and I didn't know which kind so I thought well I'll just go to Wyoming I'll major math it'll help me and once I decide which kind of engineer to be <coughs> and then I my dad bless his heart hooked me up with the dean of the College of Arts and Sciences at Wyoming, because I thought I was going to go ask him what kind of engineer I should be. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And I did that, and he said, well, that's fine, but have you thought about being a doctor? Mm-hmm. And of course I hadn't. And
1: Why did he say that?
0: I have no idea. It's just out of the blue? Because uh, he wasn't much. a physician, right? No, no, yeah. he was a Ph.D. historian, I think. Yeah. I don't know. I have no idea yeah and that was a long time ago you know it was like 1977 or something 76 maybe even no that's 1972 so i don't remember <clears throat> but anyway it sounded oh that's fine I, I, doctors make a lot of money yeah why don't i do that <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know so yeah i thought well all right I'll, let me see about becoming a doctor and maybe if I become a doctor I could go back to Cheyenne and practice medicine and so then I found out from the reading about how to get into medical school Mm -hmm. that sometimes it helps if you've done some practical Mm -hmm. stuff so one summer I I shadowed um, my parents internist in Cheyenne Mm -hmm. which was really fun and interesting And then the next summer, I worked at the hospital in Cheyenne as a, um, I don't know what they're called now, but it was like a nurse's aide, basically, you know, making beds and emptying bedpans and Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Um, You know, and the best part about that job was that I had, the, I think, the 3 to 11 shift. Okay. So I could play at least 18 holes of golf nice. every day in the morning joke and appreciate that yeah <laughs> um but that was a good experience and you know and then anyway i applied to medical schools and i mean i took the mcats applied mm-hmm. to medical schools uh i applied mostly to schools in the west mm-hmm. at the at the time <clears throat> um uh, Wyoming residents were in this. They were eligible to be considered for this program called the WICHE program. Yeah, you probably know I about it. W I C H E. Yeah,
1: I think it's still yeah. around. Yeah, yeah.
0: So Washington, Idaho, Colorado. Um, I don't know some other. Uh, yeah, I don't. Now I can't remember this. Yeah, I don't either. But so anyway, I applied uh, to schools in that plus uh, New Mexico. In Arizona plus then Wyoming also had this program you know Wyoming doesn't have a medical school so the legislature at the time had organized a a situation with Creighton University and the University of Utah oh really and if you got into those schools then um they would charge you the full tuition but if you went back to the state of Wyoming to practice for three Mm -hmm. years or do a residency they would erase that debt all of it all of it wow so and i like to ski right so this quickly narrowed down to (laughs) not a lot of ski resorts in omaha no right (laughs) (laughs) and so i applied to colorado um did not get in there applied to utah did get in there and got into new mexico and arizona and and creighton and i picked Salt Lake City because mm-hmm. uh, you know it was good skiing there. Yeah. So. And it was a good choice because a good school. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, yeah. And you know, um, I quickly, I quickly became the uh, the phantom medical student. So I stopped going to class after about a month. Okay. <clears throat> I would, I. would I'd go in in the morning, and I'd have coffee with my buddies before mm-hmm. classes. And I had, I had uh, three cadaver dissecting partners the first year. And one of the guys was one of the most aggressive human beings I'd ever met in my life. And so... I all I could do is just stand there and watch the dissection go. I said, "Well, I'm not going to waste my time. Yeah. Just I'm going to go sit in the because he cafe- just
1: wanted to. He was just happy to go and yeah. like go for it. Yeah,
0: yeah. So I sat in the in the uh, cafeteria and drank coffee and I read and, and then when they were done dissecting, I'd go up there and figure out you know it what was had been uh, exposed yeah. and much more efficient use of my time. Yeah. <clears throat> Years later. I was being recruited to be the chair of pathology at the University of Utah, and guess who was the medical school dean then at the time?
1: (laughs) That guy? That
0: guy. (laughs) That's crazy. The dean of admissions then was one of my other dissecting partners. (laughs) That's awesome. So it would have been like going home, but in a weird way. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) That's crazy. So did you get a lot of skiing done? I did, Yeah. yeah. A lot of skiing. Yeah, it was great.
1: That's awesome. So then uh how then during medical school cuz you said, you know, probably your initial plan then was to go back to Wyoming. That's right. Um yep. when did that change in med school?
0: Yeah, I can I can remember that very clearly. <clears throat> I was in um I think it was the first year. We were having um it was the hematology something or other. Mm-hmm. And we had these small group discussions <clears throat> and we were talking about chemotherapy. And a guy named Andrew Dice, D I D E I S S. he was a professor of medicine and hematology, was leading the discussion. And we were talking about how chemotherapy hits cells, the kind of, uh, hits cells in division.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And talking about rapidly dividing cells and more slowly dividing cells and how the more slowly dividing cells were more susceptible to this and i said that doesn't make sense to me Mm -hmm. and we had this he and i had this discussion about this and then afterwards he said (coughs) do you want to talk about this some more i said i'm not sure i do but (laughs) he said he said he said are you in in doing any research i said I don't know. I, yeah, maybe. And yeah. he said, why don't you go talk to this guy? Stephen Wright was his name. He was a, a professor of medicine, also a hematologist at the VA. Okay. I thought, all right, well, fine. I'll go talk to Professor Wright. And long story short, uh, R- Stephen Wright was, he had a research lab over there and he was studying RNA tumor viruses, mm-hmm. avian leukosis virus. And this is around the time when Ray <coughs> Erickson and Mike Bishop and Herr Varmus had discovered uh, SARC and v mm-hmm. But the mechanism for transformation caused by avian leucosis virus was not defined. And the idea was, oh, maybe there's a, an oncogene in, in this virus. Mm-hmm. So that's what he was studying. So I I learned how to, you know, grow cells in tissue culture and harvest the virus and make the RNA out of these things and so on. And then, you know, eventually I had to go back into the rotation. I, this is when I was not going to class. I'd get up in the morning and read all the chapters (laughs) and then I'd go work in the lab. Yeah. You know, so. So this was during the didactic portion. Yeah. 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 And, uh. I, and I mean, my my grades were fine, and my board scores were terrific. If I do say so myself. Yeah, so I, yeah. I didn't miss. You anything. were just building your own yeah. PhD on the <laughs> yeah. side. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. So, um, anyway, turns out, um, ALV avian virus does not have an oncogene. Hmm. It has a. It lands in a particular site in the genome of chickens. This was a chicken and it activates c hmm. That's how it transforms cells. Hmm. But that that was not figured out until after I was out of medical yeah. school. Wow. So we would we would have failed for sure, you know, and looking for a, an oncogene in that virus. So anyway, so then, you know, time passed. I had to go into the clinical years, and so there's no, you know, no time, no time for research. But then that's when I ran across, I I did a pathology residency, uh, not a residency, a rotation. Mm -hmm. And there's a chance to do some research there with a guy who ran the HLA lab. Okay. And uh, so I I did that, and then that's when I started talking with the faculty there about doing a pathology residency. Mm -hmm. And that's... Because I had, by then, I had finished my third year of the clinical rotations, and I knew I did not want to spend three years of my life or more being hazed by the house staff Mm -hmm. in a clinical rotation. It just wasn't going to be for me. And I found out that if you're a pathologist, you can actually have some respect from the residents and fellows and faculty, at least at that place, Mm -hmm. and it sounded like a good career option. Mm -hmm. So that's what I did. Nice. <laughs> and I applied, um, it's <clears throat> a bunch of r- places, but I really wanted to go to, to Wash hmm Why? Um, well, it was probably the, I mean, it was a premier sort of yeah. institution. Yeah. It's awesome. And I thought, well, that's a moonshot, but I'll give it a shot. Mm-hmm. And I went there to interview. I did not realize that they have two different Tracks there. They have an anatomic path, at least at the time, an anatomic track and a clinical path track. Mm-hmm. And they don't, they did not. There's no interdigitate there. at all. Mm-hmm. In fact, lab medicine there was a joint department between pathology and internal medicine. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that they had. I just applied to the res, to the residency program. Mm-hmm. And I got the itinerary, and they had me seeing everybody in lab medicine. And I was thinking, well, I don't know what lab medicine is, but it's pathology. So what the hell? I'll just go there and see what... And then I realized that it's it's lab medicine. It's clinical yeah. path. Yeah. <coughs> but I thought, well, like, that's interesting. and Maybe I could do that, because, you know, I have to look at tissues. I can deal with molecules, you know. And... Um, Guy and I were talking about this last night, because Guy was a resident in that same program. Yeah. And I remember being called up before the match by the director of the residency program, being offered a a position outside the match. Really? Hmm. And I thought, this is my first choice. Right. I don't have to play the lottery. Yeah. I'm going to go there. Yeah. I was thrilled to death. Okay. Only later did I realize that they were really having trouble filling their pathology slot. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Guy had a similar experience, you know. Um, so, like, everybody felt really special. Pretty much, yeah. That's and, fine. Uh, Guy and I were joking. if He and I had applied three years later. There's no way <laughs> we would have gotten mm-hmm. accepted. <laughs> so. Wow. So that's how I ended up at WashU In lab medicine. In lab medicine. Nice. Yeah. And then, Again, how did by you... happenstance. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. You just kind of were going with what opportunities were presented. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. So then you were at WashU for
0: a long time, right? Yeah. So the residency there in ClinPath involves one required first year, rotation through the clinical labs. And then at the time, they would support you for one year, salary for one year in a research lab. Mm-hmm. and then after that you could either if you got your own funny you could stay as long as you want in the research lab they they required you to participate in conferences mm-hmm. uh, while you're in the research lab but it's maybe a three to five hour a week commitment and the okay. rest of the time you could just do research so no, any, cl- so no other clinical no other clinical responsibilities wow. and no restrictions on what department you could go work in Mm -hmm. or what you wanted to work on Mm -hmm. so which was spectacular you know gonna pay your salary for one year you can go work on whatever you want with whomever you want Mm -hmm. for at least a year and uh, so I I picked a guy named Doug Berg, who was a he's a PhD in the microbiology immunology department. He he's the guy who discovered this transposable element called TN five and which hops around in the genome in the coli. Mm-hmm. So I, I went with him for about almost two years, you know. I got a fellowship, mm-hmm. I wrote a fellowship and got funded. And, you know, it's just hardcore bacterial genetics, you know. And after a while I, I was thinking so I was married then and I was thinking, I don't know how I'm going to make a living mm-hmm. as a pathologist mm-hmm. working on bacterial genetics. So I decided I was going to quit the residency and go do APCP and go into private practice okay. pathology.
1: So was the research going okay, or you were just like... It
0: was going I, great. I yeah. published like, I don't know, five papers. In so you liked ago. it, but you were like... I I don't know if I... I kind of liked it, but I it was like, I don't know that this is a viable career path, Mm -hmm. you know?
1: So you thought that because it didn't look like there was like discrete next steps, was that the problem? Or it was just like, didn't necessarily make sense to study E. coli genetics as a... I
0: I don't remember, I you know? I don't remember the the thought processes there in detail. Maybe it just seemed like an untraditional area for a pathologist. Mm-hmm. Plus, I, I was sort of button heads with my mentor because DNA sequencing had just become possible, mm-hmm. Maxim Gilbert sequencing, mm-hmm. and um, you guys probably don't know what that is, but uh, <laughs> it's, I do not. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's, you know, it's chemistry that you had to do on the DNA, but... but And some of the questions that we were trying to answer would be extremely straightforward if we had Mm
1: -hmm.
0: done DNA sequencing. Whereas to answer them genetically, you'd have to contort yourself in all kinds of crazy ways. And I, I told Doug, "Look, Doug, let's just sequence these things." No, 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 no. We're not going to get DNA sequencing in this lab. Hmm. And I said, "This is that's the last straw. Mm -hmm. Not going to do this." I don't see a career path and I'm not, I don't have a mentor that is embracing, you know, new approaches. Mm-hmm. So so I went to my lab medicine chief, Jay McDonald was his name, and told him, and he just about had a stroke. That you were leaving? Yeah. He said, oh, you can't go into private practice. <laughs> Are you crazy? You know? Mm-hmm. So, but then we had a discussion. He said, all right, well, all right sounds like you made up your mind but you really have to apply to some really good places because you want to be the best pathologist that you can possibly be um so i applied and actually interviewed at a couple places and and i was about ready to like sign on to the places and jay said what well, just before you do that would you go talk to a couple of people a couple of different faculty because maybe you just haven't found the right person to talk with mm-hmm. alright I'll do that so I, I went and talked to some people including as it turned out a guy named Jeff Gordon <clears throat> mm-hmm. and I don't know if you've ever seen Jeff in action or met him but I the, know of him though yeah. the guy is like Mr. <clears throat> enthusiasm mm. alright the glass is 100% full okay mm-hmm. even if it's not I'll <laughs> we'll yeah. tell you that <laughs> So I got lured into his lab. I decided not to go down the private okay. practice and I got lured into Jeff's lab and we were doing DNA sequencing there, which was fun. And Jeff would, he would blow in for like 10 minutes a day and rah, rah, and then leave, you mm-hmm. know? And, uh, and I had a chance to do what I wanted pretty much. And uh, there was a guy there who was an MD PhD student named Mark Buguski, who would be a good guy for you guys to bring in here and Mark and I had a great, great time um, anyway, so I published a few papers and then I went back to do chief residency and blood bank sort of focus in mm-hmm. Clinpath mm-hmm. path and residency and then I was offered a faculty job there mm-hmm. by Jay so I stayed on, mm-hmm. um, and that's when I got interested in trying to build my own research program in the blood bank field, mm-hmm. not not in blood banking, but rather the genes that make the enzymes that make the yeah. glycans, and so I was, you know, I didn't have any, not a meaningful amount of startup funds really, really struggling, mm-hmm. um, and still working on a project that i had inherited sort of from jeff gordon mm-hmm. jeff was like all over that you mm-hmm. know it was very clear i wasn't going to ever escape jeff's orbit mm-hmm. if i stayed at washu yeah so <clears throat> um i had a really good friend there in the residency named vishwa dixit um who would be another good person for you guys to bring in so Vishva's a vice president at Genentech now. okay, Incredibly famous now productive scientist. Mm-hmm. And Vishva um, was a year behind me in the residency and he got recruited to the University of Michigan. okay And about a year later he called me up and he said, "Hey John, you know they're looking for faculty in pathology here. Why don't you apply?" mm-hmm? And I said, okay, you know, because I wanted to like escape right. Jeff's orbit and I'll just try it out. Well, one thing led to another. I went up there, I gave a couple seminars, and lo and behold, they offered me a job, and they put me up for an HHMI appointment. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and I got it. Yeah, that's awesome. And so I thought, this is, we got to go yeah you know? so I had I had two I had two daughters at the time they were um hmm, one and three maybe mm-hmm. you know and um so we just thought well let's we'll pick up yeah. sell the house in St. Louis we'll move to Michigan and so you know so thanks to Vishva, yeah that's the first time and I'll tell you about the other thing I owe I, owe. Um, I got this job at Michigan, and it was pretty interesting. You know, you get up there, and you have um, basically unlimited research resources. Hmm. And I was, like, in heaven for about two weeks. (laughs) And then I realized that sooner or later, somebody is going to ask me what I had done with all those resources. Yeah. And if I hadn't done something significant, they were going to take him away, Right, you know, two, three, four years down the road. And I got really depressed. Because okay. like, the bar had suddenly been raised mm-hmm. quite a bit. So um, yeah, that's when the fun began. <laughs> OK, mm-hmm. yeah. So I, I started embarking on this this process to try to clone these glycosyl transferase Mm -hmm. genes. How did you get to
1: that idea?
0: Um, (coughs) I had read a paper that was written by Dan Littman Hmm. in Richard Axel's lab, where he had cloned the CD4 antigen, Mm -hmm. the CDNA encoding CD4, um, by a gene transfection method. So basically, you put human DNA into mouse or CHO cells, okay. and you use an antibody to select for the cells that express that antigen. And then you track down the DNA sequence in the cells by doing a series of serial transfections mm-hmm. to dilute out the the human DNA in those cells. Mm-hmm. And you can identify the human DNA because they contain human repetitive DNA sequence elements called ALU sequences. So you can see them on a Southern blot, mm-hmm. and you can create a a genomic library from mm-hmm. those transfected cells, and you can fish out the human sequences using allosequences, sequences, and then transfect in that piece of human DNA. You'll get several different ones, but yeah, you get one. And you put it back in, and if you reconstitute the phenotype in the transfectus, then you know that it's on that piece of human DNA. Yeah. So I thought, well, I, we can do that with for glycosotransferases because mm-hmm. we just have a cell that's missing that enzyme mm-hmm. that makes that sugar for which we have lots of antibodies. We'll just do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And it worked. Worked several times, yeah. actually. But it took about three years, two and a half years to get to the point where we had enough data to publish a paper. Mm-hmm. And my chair, a pathology. Peter Ward <clears throat> summoned me to his office about two and a half or three years into my appointment. He said, John, we're worried about your scientific career because you haven't published any papers since you've been here. So we're going to have to deploy you in the clinical side of the department. Okay. And at that time, we had cloned like three of these genes. We just hadn't published them yeah. yet. So you knew you were sitting on something. I, I knew we we're, we're going to be fine. Right. You know, so... And I went to my first HHMI review and showed them all this, and they were very happy. And okay. Renewed us. So. Yeah. Um, so it worked out pretty well. Mm-hmm.
1: You know? So you just told your chair that that. I did. It's I was pissed. Yeah.
0: I shouldn't have been because he's trying to look out for me. You mm-hmm. know? He didn't know. Right. But um, yeah. And along the way back to Vishva Dixit. So along the way. <clears throat> um. I ended up being divorced um, about a year and a half in, mm-hmm. and Vishva was my you know my good friend. Mm-hmm. Vishva had a woman who was his admin, mm-hmm. um, and Vishva came to me one day and he said, "Hey John, you know, Kim Kim doesn't have a boyfriend, you know, and I know you're you're recently divorced. Maybe you guys should." And he had gone to her and said, "You know, Kim, you know that guy John, you know him, but he, he's." divorce now maybe you guys should all right so I ended up being married to Kim I'm still married to her I mean yeah. it's like 30 years later yeah. you know so I owe him for that too yeah. you know anyway so that's the story of how I got started hmm. in Michigan in the HHMI hmm. so with the help of uh, well Peter Ward who mm-hmm. hired me and Vishva, who identified for me that opportunity. Yeah. So, again, it's just you know happenstance. I mean, uh, I don't know how these things happen, but it's just the right people at the right
1: time. Just luck, yeah. Sure luck. Yeah. So then you're at Michigan
0: for twenty years, ten? Almost twenty. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, nineteen nineteen years and four or five months. So, um, yeah. And then you went to Case Western, yeah. Okay, yeah. Can you tell us about why and yeah, yeah, yeah? So I was on my fourth re- renewal of my agent in my appointment, mm-hmm. and I'm telling you, every single time you you went in to do, renew your appointment, it incredibly stressful. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the bar is set high for productivity. And, um, <clears throat> you know, there's a lot of uncertainty about whether or not you're going to get renewed. Um, and I was getting tired of that. Mm-hmm. And about the same time, I started thinking, you know, I, this is great, you know, I can be in a lab and study whatever I want, but is this doing anybody any good, really? You know, train people and maybe you publish some papers and maybe it'll lead to something that'll be a drug, I don't know. Right. Um, I was like 50 mm-hmm. and, you know so I'm thinking well maybe then people started at the same time calling me to look at chair pathology jobs mm-hmm. so I started looking at these jobs and I'm thinking well maybe I could like make a bigger impact beyond my little tiny research sphere mm-hmm. if I was a pathology chair and um so you know i looked at, at utah i looked uh, michigan i was probably the leading candidate there in some other places um the brigham um bi deaconess yeah so uh, anyway and then the case thing came along mm-hmm. and i thought well i'll go down there and look you know and it was a disaster of a department. Really? with all due respect. Yeah. I mean, they had um, they had been subsisting for years on money from the hospital, propping up you know their faculty with research funds, mm-hmm. and then the hospital CEO situation changed, and the new CEO took away their hmm. their money. So the department got split up into two. There was a clinical side and there was the teaching research side mm-hmm. and they basically hated each other because of a variety of reasons yeah and many of the good people left i thought well i could take that job because i can't make it any worse you know <laughs> <laughs> i'll probably improve the place yeah. no matter what i do so i took the job the other com- complicating factor was that my wife's family is is from Michigan, from Ann Arbor. Okay. And it was like pulling teeth for her to consider moving away. And I said, look, Cleveland's two and a half hours by car from Ann Arbor. So if you really need to get back, Mm -hmm. there you go. Yeah. So I took the job. Yeah. And it was a fist fight for three and a half years. Um, I hired a lot of new faculty. I had to fire a lot of faculty. I had to move faculty from who had no grants from 2,000 square feet of lab space into a cubicle. You know, it, huge battles. Mm-hmm. You know. So, but it was a great personal growth experience, okay. and I had a really great dean. <clears throat> He's part of the reason I took the job. Mm-hmm. Ralph Horwitz is his name. He was spectacular. But then the wheels came off the finances at the medical school mm-hmm. and the university. Mm-hmm. And Ralph left. And okay. I could just see me treading water for the next 10 years there. Yeah. You know? And then I got a call to look at the job at Genentech. Okay. Where my friend Vishwa Dixit was. Yeah, What a great friend. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> you know, so I, just, I looked at the job. It looked interesting. I didn't mm-hmm. know if they were going to ask me back. Mm-hmm. They had me back for a second interview. End of the second day, my boss to be handed me an envelope. He said, "Here, John, here's here's our offer letter. Imagine that happening academia. Yeah, no, it'd take them months, you know, in committees to do this. Right. Here's the offer letter. Look at it in the cab on the way back to the hotel, (laughs) and uh, let us know. But you got a week. Yeah. So my wife was in the hotel downtown. We're going to go out to dinner that night. Open this letter up, and I thought, oh my God. We're we're out of Cleveland. Yeah. 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 <laughs> as soon as we can be. Yeah. And I, I called her up and I told her that. I said, you know, I'm going to show you this letter, but we're moving. Yeah. To get my wife out of the Midwest to go to San Francisco was like, you know. it's <clears> a long incredible way. Incredible change for her. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I took the job. I stayed at Case another 11 weeks and, you know, cleaned hmm. up a few things, and then we left.
1: So what was the job at Genentech?
0: The job was the, the head of the pathology department in the research organization. So the big picture okay. is that at the time, Genentech was a freestanding, publicly traded company, 15,000 employees, 51% owned by Roche. okay but Roche was leaving them alone to do mm-hmm. their... So they had a research organization where drugs are discovered, a development organization where toxicity is done a phase one, a okay. phase two clinical trials, and then they had a, a a drug... I don't know what the term is for, but where you do phase three clinical trials, okay. marketing, intellectual property, legal, yeah. finance. Uh, about... A month and a half after I took the job, uh, Roche decided they were going to buy the whole, the rest of the company. But I was hired in the research organization, the very early part of the organization, to run the pathology department, to clean out the dead wood and hire new people and make sure that it was running properly. That was the job. Hmm. And uh, one of the nice perks about that job was they let me hire four people. Uh, for a research lab, and a truly unlimited supply and equipment budget, Hmm. access to all of the core services in the research organization, which are spectacular. Mm -hmm. So if I could find the time away from making the trains run on time in the pathology department, I could do whatever I wanted in terms of research. Mm -hmm. No requirement to discover drugs. Hmm. Do what you want. Just do good science, if you can find the time. Right. So how (laughs) was that? It was hard, very hard. Because the department was, you know, it needed a lot of work. Mm -hmm. And even after it didn't need a lot of work, it needed attending to because there were really high expectations for performance. Mm -hmm. So but it was a great job.
1: Mm -hmm. That's fascinating. So... You were there for ten years. Ten years, yeah. and then why? You know, then how'd you make the decision yeah, then to
0: retire? Why leave? At about seven years or so, mm-hmm. that's about my attention span, anyway. It, it was the same problems coming to me, usually from the same people, but sometimes different people, and they either had a solution that was the same one that I'd seen before, mm-hmm. or there was no solution. And I thought this is—I'm just history keeps bored, repeating itself, yeah. honestly. And it'd be one thing if I had time to to go into the lab and do more research, but to keep things running took probably ninety percent of my time. Mm-hmm. And spending ninety percent of my time doing stuff that was entirely predictable just didn't float my boat. Mm-hmm. I would have retired about eighteen months before I did, but my wife. At the time, worked for Bishop Dixon. <laughs> so, and she had a commitment to him to stay okay. for five years. Yeah. So she wasn't going to quit, and she wasn't going to leave San Francisco. And I thought, all right, fine, I'll stay. Plus, I had a grandson and a daughter that lived down in San Mateo. Okay. So, and a, a son-in-law. So I thought, well, all right, I'll stay ten years, or more or less, and the last year I'll. I'll try to find my successor. Okay. And so that's what I did. So. Um, that's awesome.
1: Yeah. Um. So then I guess so. So then and then you guys moved to Santa Fe. Right. Is that right? Nice. So back closer to where you grew up, but.
0: Closer. Not quite. Yeah. Not quite. I had a. Part of the the way I filled my boredom was to create a spreadsheet of like 10 places where we could retire Mm -hmm. and based on cost of living and location climate outdoor activities and so on and i'd had them ranked and and san francisco was or santa fe was the first place Hmm. on the list so at at genentech after seven years you can take a sabbatical which is basically a six week paid vacation okay so part of that time i told my wife i said you know i'm gonna go spend five days in Santa Fe to try out that place as the first one on the list. She said, All right, I'll come there, but I'll I'll come a couple days later because I gotta stay at work. So I went out there and the first no, the second night I was there, I fell and broke my Tib and fib. <laughs> I I have How? I, I have post polio syndrome, so I got really weak ones. Oh. That's the fourth time I've fallen and broken a leg. Whoa. All right. So um, I went in the hospital, called my wife. She freaked out. We had two days of real estate tours planned there. And so she's always oh, got to cancel the real estate tours. Says, "The hell no, you're not going to cancel them. You are going to come out here and go look at some houses, you know. Now I unplanned, but I'm going to do the due diligence on the healthcare system here. And you can do the due diligence mm-hmm. on the housing. Right, right <laughs> true. <laughs> and uh, I got called the day after my surgery. You know, I'm on the pain pump and... Uh, I got got a text from my wife at the end of the day she said I love this house the last house I saw and I thought I was hallucinating because my wife has never liked a house that we've ever looked at in her life right and then I thought there's an opportunity here because to get her to move is also a challenge and I said this is my only chance to get us to the first place on my list Uh so after I got out of the hospital, I went out and looked at this house and then got on a plane home. And then we bought it a week later. Wow. And two years later, we retired there. So, That's awesome. Happenstance again, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. if my wife had not seen that house, right. I don't know, we might be in Boise, Idaho or something. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. That's uh, fascinating. How are we doing on time? here? We're
1: almost done. So okay. I just want to ask, after all of this, <clears throat> um, what what would you go back and tell yourself when you're starting out?
0: Yeah, well, I, kind of the same answer I gave that woman who asked me the question and the same thing we were talking about last mm-hmm. night at dinner. I, I think uh, it's always worked out well for me when I've decided to, to focus on what I like to do Mm -hmm. or what I, at the time, what I think I like to do. There's the difference there, right? Mm -hmm. You think you might want to be a chair of pathology, but you've never done it before. But you know, sounds like a great idea and you're excited about it. You should just do it. You may find out later that it's something you don't want to do, but I think you just have to go with your gut, you know, and what, what really floats your boat hmm. has always worked for me. And it hasn't always been easy, but in the long run, it's worked out hmm. fine. So that's the one thing I would say about what I would tell myself. Keep, you know, you did the right thing yeah. by doing what excited you. Or what you thought was going to be exciting. Mm-hmm.
1: Awesome. Well, we'll end it there. Thank you so much. Sure. This was awesome. Yeah. That's our episode for this week. We want to thank Dr. Lau for spending some time with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, subscribe, and recommend us to others you think would appreciate this content. If you have time, please leave us a review on iTunes. For more from the team here at Behind the Microscope, head to our website at www.behindthemicroscope.com. Behind the Microscope is executive produced by Joe Benke, Carrie Jansen, Michael Sayeg, and me. Our faculty advisor is Dr. Brian Robinson. I'm Bijan Sadie. Stay safe, and we'll see you next time.